0: Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today, you'll be listening to Stephen Silva, former pastor of the East Lansing University and the Lansing Spanish Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now, here's Pastor Silva.
1: Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Great? How many of you guys are cooking for Thanksgiving? Anybody cooking for Thanksgiving? Anybody make plans? Or are you guys some of you are just very good at making reservations and ordering food. Yes? You know, traditionally, my family has known me as a non-cooker. And the reason is because, well, most of the women in my life have been great cooks, and so I never saw the need to cook. They were always lovingly cooking, and it's not that I didn't want to cook, it's that they wanted to cook. But, you know, because of that reason, you get a bad rep that you can't cook. But I want to proclaim in front of all the church here, anyone listening, I know how to cook. But there is something that has to happen when I cook. I have to have a recipe. I mean, you give me the ingredients and you give me step one, two, three, four, five, and I could make anything. It's so easy when you have the steps. I remember the other day my wife was working and I bought some cornbread mix And I decided to, you know, to make it. It's very easy. It's right there on the actual back of the box, how to make it, right? You put in the mix. You may put an egg or two. You put some oil. You know, you put some milk, soy milk or whatever milk you use. You mix it up. You put something on the pan. You pour it in and then you check it in. And when I told my mother I was making that, she started like really being worried about me. She's like, are you sure you know what you're doing? But that was nothing compared to my wife when she got home and she said, where did this come from? You know, the idea is like, oh, did someone stop by and drop off food or, you know, did Gianna make this? You know, anything comes to mind. And I said, no, I made that. And do you know how to cook? I absolutely know how to cook as long as you give me steps one through ten. Right. And really. Any of you could cook if you have those steps, and we use it for other things in life. Like, do you want to build a Lego set? Here's steps one through ten. You buy something at Ikea to build? Here's steps one through ten. And for most of us, that works just fine, right? We have the directions, we have steps one through ten, and we could absolutely do it. Now, things get a little tricky when it comes to relationships, because relationships are not like cooking or building a Lego set for your kids, or even putting furniture together from Ikea. Now, you've seen the articles, right? Ten steps to a happy marriage, five things to do if you want to revive your marriage, you know, steps one through whatever. But things are a little bit more complicated when it comes to people, right? Things are a little bit more complicated. And I thought, well, there will never be steps one through ten that will be able to help marriages things are a little bit more deep and more complicated. But I came to a different understanding recently when I took a class on marriage from one of my professors at Andrews, and we started talking about the Ten Commandments. And really, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, it is really those ten things that strengthen your relationship with God the Father and Jesus. Isn't that right? And Jesus is saying, if you want to have a successful A loving, a great, exciting, deep, saving relationship with me. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so the Ten Commandments have been put there to have this wonderful, as we said, vertical relationship. But listen, friends, if it's good for our relationship with God, maybe we could draw some principles from the Ten Commandments that also apply to our relationships with? each other. And so today, I want to take that risk. Even though it's not as easy as cooking or Legos or building furniture, we're going to take that risk and say 10 steps to a healthy or successful marriage. But it's not Pastor Silva's 10 steps. It's not some marriage counseling book's 10 steps. It is 10 steps from the 10? From the what? 10? 10 commandments. And so Let's go into the Ten Commandments of Marriage, part one, because we only get through five today. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm a kid. I'm not married. Some of you might be thinking, I'm single. I'm not married. Some of you might be thinking, I never want to get married, or whatever it may be the case. But I want to remind you that you are part of a community of faith here. And whether you will never get married There are some people that will come to you for counsel or some people you need to give counsel about marriage. And maybe you're not married now, but one day you will be married and you don't get prepared once you say, I do. You prepare yourself before you do that. And so you never know what the future holds. You never know if you're missus or misters right here in the audience right now. And they might be looking to see if you're taking notes. So go ahead. And if you have a paper and pencil, Pull it out some notes here. Do it discreetly, okay? Discreetly. All right. So let's go to step number one or commandment number one. What does the Bible say commandment number one is? You shall have, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. So how can we apply that to the marriage relationship? I'm going to have a person give us a quote here and I'm going to read out loud because it's a little small now that I look at it. It says, No other human relationship should preempt the marriage relationship. It must be primary, foundational, number one. The purity of this allegiance set each member free for loving, serving, caring, and respecting other healthy relationships, which provide both pattern and energy. So, let's give an idea of why some marriages are struggling. Let's put a case study Let us imagine that there is a married couple, Mary and John, and they've been married for 18 years. But over the years, they have started to drift apart because they got their priorities all wrong. Their professions come first, their children come first, their friends, their hobbies, even their families of origin come first, and their marriage is on the rocks because it never has taken first priority. Like so many couples, they thought that their marriage could just be put on autopilot, right? Just smoothly run by itself. But now they find that after all these years, they share very few interests together, and they have become almost strangers in their marriage because marriage has never been a priority. And so even though they are still legally married, they have drifted apart. They no longer share dreams, desires, They never even share the practical little courtesies in life. So commandment number one is that your marriage relationship should be your number one human relationship. And that begins with departing from your other relationships as the most important relationships. That's why Genesis chapter two, verse 24 tells us, then shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. As you've heard it said, you cannot cleave unless you, what, leave. Now, back in the days when Genesis was written, the strongest relationship that you had back then would be the relationship to your mother and father, your previous relationship. But the principle could be applied to any other relationship other than your spouse. So it could be your boys, right? My boys are number one, right? We watch football every Sunday, and I know I'm getting married with you, but you cannot interfere with my boys' time, right? That's when we hang out, right? Or it could be my coworkers, my job. That's number one in my life. My profession is everything to me. And yes, we're getting married, but that always comes first. No, no, no. According to... The first step, the first commandment, marriage, your spouse always should come one in human relationships. Is that a biblical teaching? Yes or no? Because many times people think that it's okay to put other things before their spouse if they're good things. Like in my case, a pastor, right? I could say I got a lot of good things to do. I don't have time to invest in my marriage. Maybe you have a lot of good things to do outside of your marriage. But biblically, that's not how it should be done. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, and this is kind of amazing, right? When you think about it. The command is this. When a man has taken a new what? A new wife. He shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his, bring what to his wife? Bring happiness to his wife, whom he has taken. Now, let me remind you what's going on in the nation of Israel. There are literally other countries trying to destroy the Israelite nation. They need every man to take up arms for the survival of their people. But even the survival of their people is not as important as the survival of the marriage. They said, don't even go out and defend your country. Stay home. Don't even worry about making money to buy that house, that car, go on vacations. Your number one thing is to make your wife, and husband happy. Spending time together, putting them number one. I'm not sure. Maybe we should put that in our church policy or something. We get a year off when we marry. That would be real nice, right? How many of you guys, after you got married, took at least, for those who are married, Let's raise hands. Who's married? Keep your hands up if you're married. And put them down as I go up. with How many of you took time right after you're married to spend one day together? If you spend at least one day together, keep your hand up after you got married. If you spent a week together after you got married, keep your hand up. You know, just like you time. If you spend two weeks together after you're married, just, you know, one-on-one time. Ooh, the hands are going down. How about if you spend a month together, just took a month break from life to spend together? Woo, let's give them a hand. Woo! <laughs> They're getting close to what the Bible wanted for them. But the commandment is very simple, right? The commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. And when we transfer that to our marriage relationships, is that no other relationship should come before your marriage relationship. Number one. Does it make sense? Amen? No other... Relationship should preempt the marriage relationship. It must be primary, number one, foundational. All right. Are you ready for the commitment? Because going to church is not just about learning, but it's about making a commitment. So if you're married and you believe this principle, just say it with me. We pledge by the grace of God to make our marriage top priority in our lives. Amen. Healthy marriages, healthy churches. Amen. Commandment number two, it says, You shall not make for yourself an idol. You should not make for yourself an idol. And let's get an explanation for what that means. Let's go to our quote here. It says, You shall not set up an unreal ideal. One marriage should not be patterned after someone else's idea of marriage. Each marriage is unique. It is a living, growing dynamic between two people in the process of becoming one. The goal and excitement of a godly marriage is to be found in the risk of knowing in the transparent biblical sense. So when it says you shall not make for yourself an idol, this is the idea that when you enter into your marriage, you should see your marriage as unique and special. And not take someone else's marriage or your idea of what other people's marriage is and try to say, our marriage should be exactly like that marriage. Now, we grew up in the society where people are even used to fairy tales, right? We're used to maybe growing up on Disney movies, some of you. and, And the idea that that's how marriage should be or that's how a relationship should be. And many people come in with movies or shows that have taught them what supposedly marriages, or maybe they've grown up looking at their parents' marriage and they think, well, my marriage should be just like mom and dad's marriage. And they bring that to their spouse and say, this is the idol that we should live up to. Is that a recipe for success or disaster? Complete disaster because you are unique. God has made you your own person and every marriage is unique because it has two unique Special individuals and you cannot pattern it after another marriage. It has to be after God's principles, not a replication of someone else's. And listen how disastrous it is when you're trying to copy someone else's pattern. Imagine if you were building a house with your partner, with your wife or husband. And every day you come to the work site, right? And all the materials are there to build this most beautiful house. But what if the wife brings one set of architectural plans and what if the husband brings another set of architectural plans? They both have their ideas of what the house should look like. And then they start working, right? They start hammering nails. They start cutting wood. They start putting things together. But there's no way it could work because one is building one thing and the other one is building another thing. And there's fighting and there's disagreement because they're trying to pattern their marriage after another marriage. Now, I'm not saying it's not good to get counsel from other couples. I mean, I met some couples who've been married 70 years. Isn't that amazing? You get some good counsel. You get some good ideas. But your marriage shouldn't be a replication of their marriage. You have your own unique house to build. And you need to build it together with your wife or with your husband. And you need to spend time and plan it and talk about it before because either it will be planned or you will try to do it on autopilot and you'll end up having two different ideas about what your marriage should be like. That's why I love pre-marriage counseling. One thing I say is I will not marry anybody. I will not officiate a marriage unless I've done pre-marriage. Marriage counseling. And people come in and they are so cute. You know, these newly engaged people, they're like so in love and they don't even know what love is. And they're sitting holding hands and they're like, we're so excited because we've never fought one day in our life, you know? And you're just like, ooh, I'm worried about that, you know? (laughs) And then you start asking the questions, right? Well, what are your expectations in marriage? And all of a sudden, the wife says, well, I want this, 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 this. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you never told me that. <laughs> like, you never talked about that. And you, when you're building your own house, it should be your house. And not make yourself an idol of other people's houses. Because it will not bring you happiness. But ultimately, we have to remember that our happiness will never be found in a person. And that's really the key of marriage. Before you even think of getting married, you have to realize that no husband, no wife, no partner will bring fulfillment. So if your idea of a marriage is he or she will make me happy, then you will always and forever be disappointed because the only one that could fulfill you, the only one that could bring true happiness to you is not the horizontal relationship, it's the vertical relationship. Augustine says, thou has made us for thyself and our souls shall not find rest until they have found rest in you. And so let's not put up these naive, fantastical ideas of a marriage relationship and put the burden of true fulfillment and happiness on a person when it's really on God. Let us say we pledge by the grace of God to recognize And cherish the uniqueness of our marriage. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to commandment number three. You shall not misuse the name. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. It says there one should not make a mockery of marriage by allowing such things as an independent spirit, tension, bickering, alienation, emptiness, perversion, or abuse attitudes and behaviors that mar this reflection of God's unity. It is meant to be a holy matrimony, a sacred covenant. We can take the name of marriage and say, I have been married. And that's a holy thing. And by the way we behave in marriage, we could, in a sense, misuse the name or mock the institution of marriage. And so we need to be careful that we are behaving in our marriage in a way that represents it as a holy matrimony. Case study. Tom and Laura have been married for 15 years. It's been 15 years of misery. They live like cats and dogs, bickering, quarreling, and fighting all the time. They create such a toxic environment that even their friends avoid them that's always a bad sign right isn't that a bad sign like when the marriage is so toxic the people they're like you know what let's hang out with him by himself or her by themselves but we don't want to hang out together cuz they're always fighting and when people leave the house it's like you know what i don't think i ever want to get married if that's what marriage is like that's what it means by misusing the name or casting a bad name upon marriage it says They, luckily, fortunately, don't have any children to observe that. But no one observing this couple would ever want to be married. By their miserable example, they bring shame on this divine institution. Friends, let me just give you some, maybe five items that could crush a marriage. Are you ready? Criticism, number one. Criticism. No man wants to marry his mom. And husbands, she has one dad and you're not it. Marriage is about partnership and equality. Amen? Criticism will crush the hope out of marriage. Another one is name calling. If you're getting to the point that when you get frustrated, you are name calling, then that is going to crush your marriage as well. There's certain words we should never use in marriage, right? Some of them are like words like always, never, and fat. Never use fat, okay? Never use that fat. (laughs) But sometimes in marriages, people are cursing. People are just saying words that cannot be taken back. And we need to be careful that we do not make a mockery out of marriage. So criticism, name-calling, and another one, dishonesty. Not being honest with each other. You know, when trust is broken, it's hard to repair that breach. And sometimes it takes forgiveness, it takes repentance, but it also takes time. You know, when dishonesty comes into a marriage, it takes time to repair the damage that's done. The other one is defensiveness. Defensiveness. So number one, criticism. Two, name-calling. Three, dishonesty. Four, defensiveness. I've done marriage counseling when the couple sits down together and automatically the body language is one of defensiveness because they sit like this, right? It's like they're protecting their core here, right? And sometimes when there's disagreement, sometimes when there's gathering, there's a lot of defensiveness. I'm right and I'm never giving up my and protecting myself. And the last one is just as dangerous. Closing up. When we close up, that is very difficult. And I would say that's probably more difficult for the woman to observe in the man than the man and the woman. Because usually when there's an argument, what does the woman want to do? They want to talk it out, right? Let's talk right now. And it, we can't do anything else until we figure this out. And what does the man want to do? The man wants to go like, have his alone time, think, and figure it out. And I I remember that my parents had to figure this out because they were in that place where my dad would just get in the car and, and drive away when there was an argument. And my mom would be like, no, we need to talk, we need to talk. And he would go and he would have his time and she would be all upset because they wouldn't talk it out. And basically what they learned, and then they shared that advice with me, was that both needs need to be met. The man is not ready to have that conversation, but the woman needs to have that conversation. So what is the solution? The solution is for the man to say, honey, we're gonna talk about it. Let's set a date, maybe this evening or tomorrow morning to talk about it. But right now, I just need to cool off. I need some alone time. And so the man can do his thing and the wife feels like this is gonna be resolved. It's not gonna go on forever. One of the most dangerous things is closing up in the marriage relationship. All right, so you ready to pledge that we won't make a mockery of marriage by those things? We pledge by the grace of God to live out the true meaning of marriage. And so that other people could look at us and say, man, I really wanna be married. Because look at them, they're so happy. It seems like. They're constantly supporting each other. They're a real partnership. I want to be married so that I also can have a partner for life. That is living out the true meaning of marriage. Commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Oh, this is becoming more difficult nowadays, you know? Spouses should set aside time in honor of this special relationship to spend time solely with and for each other. The success of work can never equal the rewards, the renewal and recreation to be found in the marriage relationship. Taking time to tend and enjoy marriage is an expression of gratitude to God for His priceless gift. You know, marriage has been described in a lot of different ways. But one of the best ways that it's described is a garden, right? Have you ever read books or heard sermons? Marriage is like a garden. And you need to take time to tend the garden. Because if you don't take time on your marriage, what comes up in your garden? The weeds come up. And really, a lot of the major divorces that happen, what is the reason that people put for divorce reason number one? Well, on the form irreconcilable differences. You know what that is? I'm not quite sure why we're getting divorced, but I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, right? Meaning that there's all these small things that have been unresolved over the years that have caused anger and resentment and frustration. And because they've never taken the time to deal with them, to tend the garden, they have just extinguished the beautiful things that that garden can produce. And so we need to take time to be taking care of our spouse, husband, and wife, and resolving any issues before they accumulate and extinguish the love of the marriage. Now, how can you do that? Well, you could get away to an exotic island, or you could rent a motel down the street and just get out of the house and spend some time talking to each other, hanging out, right? You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to, you know, go all out. It just means alone time. And especially when you have children, I think that's something that you need to make an effort. And with children, sometimes you think that the children are the priority. But if you want to put the children first, put the marriage first. Because the greatest gift that you could give your children is a happy marriage. Children are at peace and happy when parents are at peace and happy. So, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And by the way, Sabbath could be a time to spend together too, right? You come to church, you hang out, you eat together Then you go for a nice walk in nature and you talk all about Pastor Silva's sermon that you heard. And you say, wow, you know, that really moved me and touched me. And I'm going to invite someone for next week. You know, just spending time together informally is a beautiful thing. Can I give you just an insider tip on marriage? When you're really busy, you know what great dates are? Shopping together. That is like the best date. Cause you're doing something together. You're making decisions together. You know, go to Costco, go to Whole Foods, go to, you know, wherever you shop and just together shop and talk together. And you could even dream like one day when I'm older, we're going to get that and we're going to get that and so forth. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but just shopping is day, right? Am I anybody? Amen with me? Amen. All right. There we go. Front row from. The newly engaged couple, they're already putting that into practice. So let us pledge. We pledge by the grace of God to spend time together to nurture our marriage. And you know what? I'm going to talk to our church treasurer and our church board because I got an idea that, I'm putting idea to you guys instead of the church board. But every year the conference puts on, I think, two marriage retreats, right? Two marriage retreats. And they do cost a little bit of money, you know, a couple hundred dollars. But uh, wouldn't it be great if our church every year could sponsor at least one or two couples from our church and send them up there? Wouldn't that be wonderful? How many of you say amen to that? Yeah. <laughs> Board members, <laughs> it's been unanimously voted, right? But the idea that we just randomly pick one of the couples and say, you know what? We want to invest in you guys here. Go spend some time together on that marriage retreat. So, hey. It's coming by the grace of God. We're going to make it happen. The last one is honor your father and your mother, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. And the principle here is that the well-kept marriage of children bring honor to their parents. They are a living tribute to the role models provided. The strong marriages and productive lives of children and grandchildren are a source of peace and security in later years. And an unending source of enjoyment. The greatest gift one could give his or her parents, as well as themselves and their children, is a healthy marriage. So there's no greater way to honor the memory of your parents than to have and perpetuate a successful marriage. And when your parents or family watch you grow and mature in your marriage, it will bring a smile and a great deal of satisfaction to your parents. And it's something that is not only for your parents, but it's something that's passed on to your children as well. And so I believe that there's some grandparents here. There's some parents of adults here. And I remember that my parents' greatest anxiety after I graduated with my nursing degree, you know, the first one is like, all right, he has to graduate with something to make a living. But once that was done, their greatest anxiety after that was, who is he going to marry? I mean, they stressed out just as much as me about that question. Maybe they even stressed out more than me. And that is something that could bring happiness or pain to parents, depending who you marry and how your marriage goes. And so we're not living in the days of arranged marriages anymore. Some parents maybe would like to do that. But who you choose and how your marriage is will honor or dishonor your mother and your father or your grandparents, whoever were that role model or example to you. And so today we can make that commitment that we pledge by the grace of God to honor and respect each other. And that way, honor and respect our who? Our parents as well. Well, we're going to end today at five. We got five more to go. It's not five steps, but 10 steps. And next time I am speaking to you, we're going to finish with the rest. But we just want to leave on one note. And can we get a little bit real here? Okay. You know, especially for those who are looking to get married. I want to share this with you. Just because someone comes to church doesn't mean they're a Christian. When you're looking for a future spouse and a future husband, just because they sit here next to you, it's not enough. It's a word of warning. You see, when I first started to talk to my wife and have conversations, I remember that we would spend hours on the phone. And you know what we're talking about? We're talking about what God was doing in our lives. We see, I wasn't only interested in her because she was at church or she was a Seventh-day Adventist. I was interested in committing to life because I heard through her story that she was committed to Jesus. So when you're looking for a life partner, don't only just look, oh, he's in church, she's in church. You hear them out, you talk to them and see if they have a story about the relationship with Jesus. Because right now we're talking about the Ten Commandments of marriage, but those come from the Ten Commandments of our relationship with God. And if we don't have a relationship with God, then our relationship with each other will also suffer. And if you are married, and you're married with someone who doesn't believe, who has drifted away from the Lord, God has a plan for you too. He's called you to be a light in the darkness of their life. He's called you to be an example and to be an example of faith. And you are there by God's grace to bring them back to the Lord. Just this last Wednesday, I was doing prayer meeting at the Lansing Spanish Church. And we have a good, strong Christian couple there from Cuba. And she stood up and said, I want to give a testimony to my family, to my father in Cuba. She said, my father... Didn't believe in God. He wanted nothing to do with God. He didn't go to church. He didn't do nothing like that. And she said, let me just, you know, give you an example. His wife is younger than me. We're talking about his daughter, right? That's what he was about. Just about himself and the things in his life. But, but he got in a little bit of trouble because he married a woman who was half his age, but he married a Christian. Uh-oh. God had a way in. And through her testimony, And through her life and through her example to a non-Christian husband, he called up his daughter and they talked. And she said, I don't even recognize my father anymore. He's like a different person. He's talking about God this, Jesus that. He's a transformed man. And so if you're in a relationship with someone who does not believe in God, have faith. God can still use you. But God's plan is for to have two people who love the Lord and love each other. And union. And I have faith that if you prepare yourself and if you love the Lord, it will happen in your life if it's God's greatest will for you. And so I want you, married couples, to take these commandments to heart, apply them. But there's also a lot of people here who are not married, who might be married, or maybe haven't found that person, and we need to pray. That God is preparing them and preparing maybe their future husband and wife in their life. Should we pray for our single people in our church? Is that something we should do? I think it is. And so I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up or come forward and so forth. But why not, right? (laughs) But we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. But if you're close to someone who is single, they might not want to even get married. Maybe they do. But whatever God's plan is for their future relationships, why don't you lay a hand upon them and ask the Lord that He would provide the relationships that they need in their life. Let us bow our heads and pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you created marriage, you created relationships. You are a relational God, and you have also created us to be relational with each other. But we ask for the sanctification of your Holy Spirit so that we, can behave and act and talk in love as we read in 1 Corinthians 13 towards one another, towards brothers and sisters in the church, towards our family we were born into and the family that we choose through the marriage, uh, marriage covenants that you have given us, Lord. And I pray that these five pledges that we've made today would be real for those who are married and be a hope for those who are looking for marriage in the future. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, and we all say,
0: Amen. You have been listening to Stephen Silva, former pastor of the East Lansing University and Spanish Seventh-day Adventist churches, who has answered a call in California. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not, this Sabbath, visit a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production.